Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. I'll be reading Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. And I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine, to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our souls. <clears throat> Father, help me unfold Paul's intention here in these ten verses. Help me do it accurately. Help us be a people that care about what he says here and help us understand why it is very important for us this day and how we live in this world and in the church world to the glory of your name. Amen. <clears throat> we live in a day when a loud cry within the church world goes something like this. Can't we all just get along? We all confess that we believe in Christ Jesus. So let's not bicker over how a person is saved by Jesus, whether it's by faith alone, or whether it's by faith plus good works is what brings you the salvation that comes in Jesus. Let's not bicker over it. Let's not bicker over whether churchgoers who live in unrepentant sexual sin with their boyfriend or their girlfriend are actually Christians or not. 
Let's not divide over the cultural war where an unprecedented shift is taking place in our country, even legally concerning so-called same-sex marriage. Some churches accept it. Others don't. It's okay to disagree, but not to divide over such. So goes loud voices in our day. But the church, believers who hold to the apostles' words, cannot go along with that mantra. Some issues go to the core of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Like the previous examples. And like whether Titus needs to be circumcised in order to get to heaven. Some issues are worth fighting over. And if need be, worth being prosecuted for, ostracized, called nasty names, or even killed. So, as we turn now to chapter 2 in this fourth week in our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians, let me just recap a little bit of the context because he's in the middle of an argument and he's going to another portion of that argument. Remember Paul and Barnabas and their group went into the regions of Galatia, numbers of cities, and they brought the gospel. They never heard of the gospel of Jesus. They brought it there. They planted churches in these cities. After a two-year mission, they get back to their home church in Antioch of Syria. And down the road, word starts to come into Paul's ears. Paul, those guys are there now. These other Christian teachers from Jerusalem have gone into Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and village churches, and they're preaching. Paul gave you the right stuff about Jesus' death and resurrection. He is the Messiah. You need faith in Him. But we're going to bring a little bit of correction of some things he left out. And that's what they're doing. But not only that, they had to also discredit Paul. They loved Paul. They loved Barnabas. They brought the Gospel to him. And they were saying, Paul is not an apostle. I mean, like the ones that walked with Jesus, Peter, James, his brother, or John, or Matthew, and Bartholomew, and the head honchos in the Jerusalem church. Paul later became a Christian and learned his gospel under them. He was tutored by them, and he brought it to you. But he kind of messed up parts of it at the end about what you really need to do in order to be saved. So that's what they argue. And we saw that Paul's argument, starting back in chapter 1, is that he, his statement is this, they, those other Christian teachers from Jerusalem, are lying. My gospel was not learned under the apostles of Jerusalem. It is straight from the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who has appeared to me on numbers of occasions and gave it 
to me. That, look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 briefly. Remember, his main point, because it's still the main point through what he does here today in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by them, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Boom. And then the next verse, verse 13, starts his argument for that where he lays out his autobiography about where he's been and how he has not been hanging out with the Jerusalem apostles. He had not been consulting them over, tell me the truth and teach me the gospel. Okay, That's what we saw last week. And then you kind of feel it. Hmm. Paul's arguing for his independence from Peter. John, the son of Zebedee, and Jesus' brother James, and the others. Is Paul throwing those other apostles under the bus? Is there a disagreement about the gospel of Jesus and how a person is saved between Paul's gospel and Peter's? The Judaizers were saying there is a difference. And Paul's is flawed. If the apostles, like Paul and Peter, preach two different things about salvation, then the foundation of the church crumbles. Because that's what it's built upon. Jesus is the cornerstone and the church is founded on the prophets and the apostles. And so here now in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2, Paul deals with that tension. He's still, we'll see, holding to his independence. He's not subservient to, he's not under the authority of the Jerusalem apostles. He's holding his independence and yet he will make it clear that the Jerusalem apostles are in complete agreement with him in his gospel and how it goes to the Gentiles. So, if you're there in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 1, notice the first phrase, then after 14 years. Okay, just stop for a minute. That's, that's important for Paul's flow. That word, then. His argument started, I was the Jew of Jews, I was excelling, I was advancing in my Judaism, proof positive, I dragged Christians into prison, jail, and had some killed. I was a persecutor of the church, I wasn't going towards Christianity, away from it. But then, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to me, caused me to be born again, and then the Word when that happened, immediately I did not do something. Immediately I did not consult with the Jerusalem apostles. And then, here's the word, then three years later, I finally went to Jerusalem and met Peter for 15 days. And I met James. And then gone. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia 500 miles away, nowhere around the Jerusalem apostles. 
And now, starting with chapter 2 again. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So, going back, remember this is all before his mission to the Galatian churches. He's looking back. But at that time, Paul had been a Christian for 14 years. He had been in apostolic ministry. He had been preaching the gospel mainly to Gentiles in the regions of Cilicia, where his hometown Tarsus is, and Syria, where the church and the city of Antioch is. For 14 years he's been preaching to non-Jews the cross of Christ. And what was happening, many of them were coming to saving faith in Jesus being saved by Him without ever going through Jewish ceremonial circumcision. Without changing their Gentile diet to the one in Leviticus for the Jews. Kosher diet of what to eat, what not to eat, how to wash, how not to wash. Without having to celebrate Sabbath days, new moons, and festivals. Paul's preaching the Gospel. They're coming into the church. Some are being raised up as teachers, as we will see. Titus. Now, so he says then, after 14 years, I've been preaching the Gospel. Don't miss it though. This is not a new problem that Paul's dealing with. For 14 years he's been dealing with this problem. Because when Paul preached the Gospel to Gentile people that way, it caused a lot of anger with a significant segment. Not the whole, but a significant segment within the Jerusalem Jewish church. And now he's going up. I've got to do something about it. Now, Luke, people differ on this, but you'll know my interpretation. This counsel that he has here in chapter 2 of Galatians, I think, is the one Luke talks about in chapter 11, not chapter 15. So here's Luke telling us about Paul's second journey to Jerusalem since his conversion. Starting with verse 27 of Acts 11. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples there in Antioch determined everyone according to his ability to send relief, financial relief, to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders in Jerusalem, 
by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Paul. Paul says, 14 years later, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas, from the very beginning of the church, had very close ties with Peter and John and James and the apostles. Eventually, when a couple of years down the road, when the gospel was spreading 300 miles way up north to the city of Antioch, and it's like a bunch of Gentiles are becoming Christians, and there's a bunch of Jews who are becoming Christians, it's this mixed church, the Jerusalem apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch to help supervise what was happening there in the church at Antioch. And he's remained there evidently for the most part all those years that went by. He's the one that went and got Paul from Tarsus to come help in the church of Antioch. And that's why they're in Antioch then and are sent to Jerusalem. And then Paul in Galatians makes it clear the reason I went to Jerusalem was because of a revelation. Why? This is why I think he says it. Not like what those Christian teachers are telling you, Galatians. I was not called by the hierarchy of Jerusalem and the apostles to come up and speak to them about something. I'm not under them. That's his point. Whether the revelation was a personal revelation that Jesus gave him, time to go and deal with it, or whether he's referring to Agabus the prophet who gets the revelation that a famine's coming and we said, we don't know. But his main point in mentioning that is that I am not under the supreme apostles of Jerusalem. Now, notice how Paul words it in verse 1. Then after 14 years since his conversion... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. He does not say, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. I went up with Barnabas taking Titus. His whole, and we'll see it unfold. His whole purpose was, you're coming, Titus, because while we're there delivering the money... I'm going to demand a private meeting with Peter and James and John and the elders. And Titus, you're going to be exhibit A of my Gentile mission. Paul is also going to Jerusalem to force clarity on this issue. No more games is Paul's attitude. Titus... He is a representative of my mission to the Gentiles. Titus is probably pretty well known even by this time. as called as a teaching pastor. He's saved. He believes in Jesus. He's in the church of Jesus. And he has not gone through Jewish ceremonial circumcision here he is Peter should he or should he not you can't remain silent on this issue 
anymore. What do you say? What do you say, John, the son of Zebedee? Speak up. How about you, James? Our Savior, He was born from the same womb as you. What's your answer? That's why Paul goes up. Guys, I know it's uncomfortable because you have a major problem here in your church in Jerusalem with that segment of the circumcision and I know there's tension and I know it's not easy, but too much is at stake. No more silence. You have to speak clearly on this issue. That's what he does. It's like a deposition today. People can willingly testify or come in and, or by subpoena, but just go to the law office and sit in a conference room and you've got a court report and you've got both sides and attorneys and they're under oath. They're going to ask some questions and it is under oath. Paul wants them on record. Verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, we'll, we'll see later that particularly Peter, James, and John. I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I did it in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So while he's there, he seeks for a private meeting Peter and James, John, probably some of the elders, maybe a couple of the other apostles, but he calls them here, those who seemed influential. Now, you've got to remember what he's doing that because he's talking to the Gentile Galatian Christians and the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem are telling them another story. And so, we're going to see, he respects the authority as equals with Peter, James, and John. But, this idea that I'm subservient, I think that's why he makes these little cutting comments. He says, I did it in order to lay out clearly the gospel to the Gentiles that Jesus personally gave me, which has been his argument. Why? In order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. That's why. Paul does not mean... Okay, 14 years later, I finally decided maybe I should really go in front of Peter and John, the son of Zebedee, and Jesus' brother, James, and some of the others who knew Him personally and witnessed His resurrection, as I did years later, but maybe I should go up there and say, this is what I preach. Am I right? So that I'm, I'll make sure I wasn't running in vain for 14 years in my, in my ministry preaching. That is not at all what Paul means. 
that would absolutely defeat his entire purpose of this letter. His entire argument is, I don't need that. Jesus has appeared to me on numbers of occasions in His resurrected body and called me as a personal apostle and sent me to the Gentiles. That's not what He means. What He means is, if I don't get this issue dealt with and dealt with quickly, my ministry will be in vain. Everywhere I go, these guys follow me and they will constantly pollute the minds of the Christians and turn them away from the true Gospel. Remember chapter 1. They are distorting the Gospel of Christ. But even if we apostles or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel that is contrary to the one I already did, let him be accursed. That's what he's referring to. You can taste this in verses 4 and 5 where Paul makes it very clear there are false brothers. Those are the ones distorting the Gospel. To make sure he was not running in vain means speak up, guys. So that they stop appealing to, to we know the apostles in Jerusalem and we represent them. Speak up, guys. Because Paul's ministry to the Gentiles is being threatened everywhere he goes. They're trying to ruin it. Just like they're doing now with the churches of Galatia. So Paul's argument is, I have no doubt about the truth of my gospel to the Gentiles. No, 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 no. But guys, I need you to speak up in order to help me stop these teachers from the church of Jerusalem going out among my Gentile converts and ruining the work. That's what he means by it will be in vain. You can see it when he says in chapter 4 of Galatians for a moment, verse 10 11. Galatians, if you buy what these people are saying, you observe days and months and seasons and years. In other words, yes, you're going to start doing the works of the law of Moses. You, You obey these things. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. That's what he means. So let me just pause for a moment before we move on. At that point, here's Paul causing confrontation. What should we glean from that? I think one main lesson is truth matters. Clarity on the gospel and the implications of the gospel for how the Galatians should live or not live, clarity is huge. Wrong teaching must be confronted. In order to confront this issue, Jesus is the one who sent Paul to Jerusalem. Now, let me speak. You've got to hear me clearly. Let me speak from my sinful nature, my flesh, emotionally. I hate this part of biblical Christianity. 
I'm uncomfortable with confrontation. But, if we are to live according to the Bible, there are times when we must, within the church, say, wait a minute. You can't go on thinking that or teaching that and be in line with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. You can't go on living that way and be in good standing with Jesus' church. You see, and I know this so well in my life, the desire for personal comfort and the fear of confrontation and conflict is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are fruits of the flesh. Christians are to be a people who care about coming to conclusions over crucial doctrines of Christianity. See, I'm, I have no desire to glory in, oh, isn't it so nice? There are so many views over core issues in Christianity. There's so many views over the nature of God. Isn't that nice? So many views over the nature of the cross and what Jesus accomplished. Or so many views over how a person gets saved by that message. What must they do or not do. There are so many views over ethics and how this is lived out in our lives. I don't glory over. See, I don't think it's healthy that there are some professing Christians who believe in abortion on demand for any reason. I don't glory in that. I don't think it's good that our culture is slowly converting many Christians and churches to say, well, okay, as long as same-sex attracted persons live out that by sexual activity in a monogamous relationship, well, then it's okay. Don't glory in that. On theological, which ultimately therefore will hit and come in confrontation with many cultural issues, Christians should think biblically. They should struggle and want the best they can to come to conclusions over does Titus need to be circumcised or not? And why or why not? Or any other present day issue. Don't be the person like Paul talked about. Always learning, always learning, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth on any issue. Don't be a person who you heard teachings on this issue or that issue for years, or every time you hear it, and then you ask questions and say, okay, I got it. And then the teaching comes up a year later and you act like you never heard a thing. And it's all new again. 
be a person who loves Bible, comes to conclusions prayerfully, stands. Okay, let's go back to the text. We worked through verses 1 and 2 so far. And now at this point, Paul inserts a large parenthesis in order to drive home his point of independence. In other words, what I mean is you could jump from verse 2 to verse 6 and the flow, it flows easily. Uh, we presented before the big wigs the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. And then, verse 6, to those I say who seemed influential, they added nothing, but on the contrary, shook our hands and said, awesome, we agree with you, you go there and we'll go here. But he didn't do that. He paused and he adds this large section, verses 3 to 5. The flow would have flowed. Or if he just wanted to mention Titus, he could have just done it in one simple little sentence. And Titus did not get circumcised. But he added a lot more words than that. Why? I think the reason contextually is really clear. To show the Galatian Christians that yes, there are false Christians who come from Jerusalem who insist on circumcision for salvation. And they're lying. They do not represent the Jerusalem apostles. Let's read it. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false Christians, false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved for you. Titus was exhibit A. He wanted a private meeting, but it didn't work out that way. Word got out. Some of these guys knew the doorman or something, and they got in. And evidently they got the floor, and they gave the most vehement and strong argument they could. That's where you hear the word. Titus was not forced or compelled. They gave it their all. And Paul said, we didn't yield. Even for a moment. And the Jerusalem apostles agreed with me in Barnabas. Not even Titus was compelled. And Paul calls them false brothers. He calls them he calls them slave makers. And Paul's implication is clear when he writes this to the Galatians. Galatians, this is the group that's there. In the back of that building right now, listening to you hear this letter read out loud. This is those guys. They come 
from this segment of the church. And to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. It is the core about true freedom in Christ versus slavery to the taskmaster of legalism. That's the issue. That's what Paul will later say in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set you free, Galatians. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery by obeying these guys and doing the works of the law of Moses in order to be saved. But he goes on to say, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working itself out in love. See, what is at issue and why Paul is so strong, Titus is going to leave uncircumcised, is because if you turn the death of Christ for sins and His resurrection. Great, go ahead and preach it. And you say, now, how do you get saved? If you turn that into your works for God in order to ascertain salvation that Jesus bought, as opposed to, no, 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 no. God's always working for you. Jesus did it all. You can only openly, with open arms, receive the free gift. If you change it, Paul knows the good news of the Gospel is gone. And so he says, we did not give an inch. Not for one moment. And we did it for your sakes, Galatians. They may come from Jerusalem. They may claim they have authority from the apostles about their doctrine of you must be circumcised, add kosher diet, and other things, but they are lying. Now, he gets back to the main point in verse 6 now, after the parenthesis. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, to those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. I, there's nothing in my gospel that was wrong. Remember, he presented the gospel. I preached among the Gentiles. Result, they had zero to add to it. But positively, he goes on to say, Peter, James, and John recognized my apostleship as being directly from Jesus Christ as theirs was. Let's let's just read it the way he puts it. Start with verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the Gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the Gospel, to the circumcised, for 
He who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for my apostolic ministry to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go with the gospel to the Gentiles and they to the Jews, to the circumcised. And then he tacks on verse 10 to just again let the Galatians know there is a solid cement bond between the apostles in Jerusalem in me only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do they had they brought a lot of money with them to help the poor church in Jerusalem and as many as you know throughout Paul's Gentile ministry the Jerusalem church and the Judean church was often hit with famine and were desperate for financial help. Paul was always raising money for them throughout his ministry. Okay. What do we do with this? What we heard? What do we make of it? Let me say first what not to think about this passage. And that is... Don't think, wow, we sure got lucky that Paul was really bold and confronted this issue and made them speak up and brought Titus. Whew! No. God did it. God led him. God was in sovereign control. And that Paul even has to defend himself was ordained by God from before the foundation of the world. God was speaking through Paul and Peter and James and John. It was God. It was our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who was confronting the error within the church. God ordained this controversy in order to make clear that the gospel is not this, but positively is this. And that's huge. If people are concerned with clarity almost over any issue to say things in the negative as well as the positive is almost always helpful. If you just say, Paul, just leave it there. Believe in Jesus. They didn't disagree with that. Jesus died for your sins. He was raised from the dead. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. These Christian teachers from Jerusalem 
believed all of that. Paul, just say Jesus loves you and leave it there and let's all be happy. Well, the problem is all kinds of people may be deceived that they're going to be in heaven and they're going to die and they're going to be shocked. And Paul knows this. So, in this context, for instance, to say clearly and for God to ordain that it's here, the Gospel is not believe the message here. You have to have faith, but then you have to add to your faith works of obedience to the law of Moses. Paul says, that Gospel deserves the person to be damned or accursed. It's not a small issue. And that, it's here, the way that, whether we deal with kosher diet or circumcision or the larger principle that will come out in this Bible, any of my obedience to God, if I put it before equals salvation, you're missing it. Obedience is the result of salvation and the difference is huge. It's not this, but it's that. God, before the world was created, purposed the cross of Christ. Then, after preparing through the prophets and the, Jew, and the Hebrew writings, in silent years of over 400 years, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. He sent His Son to become one of us and to go to the cross, and He accomplished salvation in Him and God. And the Lord Jesus chose apostles, personal sent ones to be His mouthpiece. And as Paul wrote in chapter 1, before I was in my mother's womb, He had set me apart. Really, Paul? Yeah. And so He let you be educated the way you were as a child and a teenager and a young man? Yeah. Under Gamaliel? Yeah. To persecute the church of God and try to destroy it? Yes. And then in His 30s, Jesus says, it's time. I'm going to go get Paul now. He's ready. And He converts him. He appears to him. And then... For some reason, he allows people within the church to try to destroy Paul's ministry. And then Paul, or really, rather, the Lord Jesus, brings about the confrontation in Jerusalem so that the truth of the Gospel might be preserved. And therefore, Ought not we who dwell on earth today as Jesus' church also be as determined to be true to the text of Scripture? To stand for God's definition of marriage between one man and one woman as the living parable of Jesus and His bride 
the church. Stand for such, even if that conviction becomes illegal. Even if that conviction causes you to go bankrupt because you get sued in a court because you refused to celebrate a same-sex marriage with your bakery making a cake. Even if it causes people to hurl abuse like homophobe, bigot, unloving. The truth of the Gospel has once for all been delivered. The Apostles' words are here in the book. And so whether it's on this particular cultural issue that Paul dealt with or the so-called same-sex marriage issue today or any other issue, when the guns of the culture are pointed directly at the Gospel of Jesus Christ, here's the text. Let us not yield in submission even for a moment. So that as darkness continues to fall upon our land and our culture, the truth of the Gospel will remain bright, different, vibrant in the church, for the church, for the glory of God, and for true evangelism to lost and dying sinners out there whom God will turn to see the light. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. What Paul was standing for is what our Lord went to the cross to purchase the salvation of souls through the true Gospel. We're going to celebrate His cross, His death, through His body and blood this morning. So if you are a professing, baptized believer, then feel free to partake when the elements are passed out and we will hold them and pray over them together. So let's go to the Lord's table. It is for what we see in the Lord's table that we stand and remember as we contemplate our Lord's death for us. It is for freedom. Freedom of faith. Delight in Him. Trusting all of His promises for us alone. It is for that freedom that Jesus sets us free. Amen.